Well, good morning, everyone. A very warm welcome to you. A very warm welcome this morning if you're watching online or if you're here with us in the building. It's wonderful to have you with us. Uh, this morning, uh, we're continuing in our series in Romans. Uh, Sarah will be opening up uh, the second part of chapter 15 as it speaks of the, the glory, the goodness, and the grace of God in our lives. And that is really the heart of the Lord for us in the Lord Jesus, that he is good to us and he has shown his his goodness and his love for us in dying for us that we can be reconciled to god and enjoy a relationship a relationship with our heavenly father in love that is how the lord shows his goodness to us Uh, he does that by dying on the cross for our sins in our place that we can know him and so as we come to to worship this morning as we come to bring him glory Let us just take a moment just to quiet our hearts, to to settle ourselves. We'll take a moment of quiet and then we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, your goodness and your glory. We thank you that we can come to you not because we are worthy, but because Jesus has made us worthy. We can come to you in praise and adoration for all that you have done for us. We pray that you would help us by your spirit to worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Bible reading this morning is taken from Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 33. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building in someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however... I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. 
they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Uh, Sheila, thank you very much indeed for uh, reading uh, for us this morning. Uh, Let me uh, pray before we open up God's word. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that uh, uh, as I'd speak, you would uh, uh, use my feeble words. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, you would ready our hearts uh, to hear you uh, speak to us. And might we be challenged, might we be encouraged, might we be equipped uh, to live to glorify your name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week, uh, we looked at uh, this uh, our verse uh, for the year, uh, Romans 15:13, uh, where Paul writes uh, to the church in Rome, and he writes these words. Hopefully, uh, some of you have uh, committed these to memory already. Uh, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we saw how a Christian faith uh, has a hope that comes from God, the God of hope, and that we receive that by trusting that Jesus has indeed done all that God has promised. And we overflow in the hope and the peace uh, as the Holy Spirit makes those truths that God has revealed uh, alive uh, in our hearts, a lived uh, reality. And the truth has a profound meaning, doesn't it, for us? Uh, We are a new creation. Uh, God himself dwells in us by the power of his spirit, and we looked at that last week. Uh, There is a deep, there's an eternal change that's gone on. Uh, By trusting in Jesus, we are no longer enemies of God, but rather we have been made his children, heirs of the promise that God has made. And as Paul moves from our verse for the year, uh, verse 13... I want us just to uh, look a few verses in uh, and just I want to lift out a couple of things. Uh, Firstly, that we are gifts to one another. We'll see that in verses 14 and 15. And then that we are an acceptable offering to God himself. We see that in verses 16 through 19. So let's just look at uh, uh, the first of those. We are gifts to one another. Paul writes this in verses 14 through 15a. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Uh, The church in Rome um, wasn't uh, a church that Paul had yet visited, but it's clear from the way that he writes he had a great deal of affection for them. 
And Paul describes the church in three ways, doesn't he? He describes them as being full of goodness, uh, filled with knowledge, and also as a church that's able and competent to instruct one another. Now, the church uh, who received this letter, um, and it's an amazing letter, isn't it, that uh, the church has received, because it is absolutely jam-packed with all sorts uh, of theology. And as we study the letter, we would definitely, as we study the letter, we will definitely be filled with knowledge. The letter allows us to see inside so many deep Christian truths, sin and death, grace, faith, salvation, justification, sanctification, redemption, resurrection, glorification, and lots of other really big and complicated words. There's a lot of stuff, lots of truths, really important truths, inside the letter to the church in Rome. It's a letter that's launched a thousand books, maybe millions of books, and rivers of ink have been spilt over it. But, but, if that's all that we take from the letter that Paul has written, if it's only being full of knowledge, if that's our key takeaway, then we've rather missed the point. Uh, Don't mishear me. Knowledge is vital, and it's a good thing, and the church is being commended for being full of knowledge. And Paul wrote the letter to the church that they might know or be reminded of the truths that they need, the knowledge that they and we need. And we spoke, didn't we, last week about the fact that uh, the Christian faith does indeed have content, that we must know what that content is. But if that is all that we have, then we've shortchanged ourselves. And in any church that prioritizes the importance of preaching and teaching faithfully, there is a danger that such churches only grow in knowledge. And that is a risk, isn't it, for a church like ours? So we need to ensure that we are also full of goodness and able to instruct one another. Now, these two things are, if you like, the, the practical application of the knowledge that Paul writes of. Now, Paul says that in addition to being full of knowledge, we are to be full of goodness and competent to instruct one another. Now, Paul's already described this, hasn't he? We looked at that uh, last week, that the Holy Spirit takes the knowledge that we have, the knowledge that uh, he has revealed, and takes it from our head, and he pours it with the love of God into our hearts. Now, by the power of the Spirit, we experience God's love in our hearts, and it shapes our lives. Now, the knowledge that fills the Christians that Paul writes to in Rome is the one that leads to a complete transformation of character as the Holy Spirit leads them in the truths that have been revealed in the Word. And as they submit more and more areas of their lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit changes their heart's desire so they too are being shaped and molded to become more and more like Christ. And as the Holy Spirit works in their hearts, uh, they are no longer people who seek their own good, their own rights, and their own desires. Rather, in the sacrificial way that Christ loved, their lives are now focused on serving one another. To bring the light and goodness of Christ into the lives of the church family. And Paul says that's what the church in Rome has. Now, what might that look like uh, for us? Uh, Imagine that one of our fellowship 
uh, let's call her Indy. Uh, if you're here this morning and your name is Indy, this is not for you particularly, but um, let's call her Indy. Uh, for her, it might look like uh, carving out time every day to read scripture and to pray, maybe getting up 30 minutes earlier than she might normally do. It looks like committing Bible verses uh, to memory and reflecting on them throughout the day. It looks like asking the Holy Spirit to open up those verses, to speak to you and asking the Holy Spirit to remind you afresh of the joy and the peace you have because in Christ you are a child of God. It looks like being part of a home group and working hard to understand and apply the truths that you've learned to your lives. And as Indy does that, she can see that in certain areas of her life, she isn't living the way that God calls her to live. And maybe God's been speaking to her about her tendency to overwork. So she decides to put in boundaries so that her work doesn't overflow into all areas of her life to make time for friends and to make time for family. Uh, Perhaps the Holy Spirit points out that she does have a tendency to gossip about others. And so she becomes more careful about the things that she says. Or perhaps Indy just expects people to do nice things for her and sees all the things that she has as hers. And so she lacks a thankful heart. And the Holy Spirit helps her to see in the word of God how much Jesus loves her and that everything that she has, everything that she has, has come from God. It comes as a gift. And that grows a thankful heart in her. And Paul says to the church in Rome that because they're full of knowledge and goodness, their heart's desires are for their brothers and sisters, for their brothers and sisters to grow in love and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Being full of knowledge and goodness helps make them competent to instruct one another. And because they're full of goodness and knowledge, their aim in instruction isn't point scoring or proving themselves better than others in the church family. Rather, it's based on an eager desire uh, to show one another the fullness of life that comes by trusting in Christ and to help others see that, to model it and encourage them to seek that for themselves. Uh, and for us, it might look like this, this uh, fictitious uh, group, uh, member of our group, Indy, uh, seeking out women in the fellowship who are newer to the faith than she is so that she can read the Bible with them one on one to encourage them to apply the truths that they've heard to their own lives and to see more and more of the fruit of the Spirit being born in their lives. All this so that we can help one another grow in the love and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That as we ask the Holy Spirit to make the truths of Scripture burn brightly in our hearts, that we would have the courage and the strength to live in a way that glorifies Jesus. And as we do that, we will bless one another. And we will have and start to see life and see it in all of its fullness. But the church in Rome isn't perfect. Uh, Paul tells the church in verse 15 that he's had to write to the church quite boldly on some points. Uh, But this letter to the church in Rome isn't a harsh letter. Uh, The church in Rome wasn't a church that was filled with conflict or misunderstanding of the gospel, uh, nor was it being tempted to abandon the gospel altogether. But not everything was rosy in the garden. In chapter 14, Paul had to correct the church because they were quarreling uh, over disputable matters, and we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. 
And Paul's encouragement is the church family live in sacrificial love for one another. Not seeking to put their own interests first, but to live in a way that didn't cause others to stumble in their Christian life. To love one another sacrificially. And the power that we need to live like that comes from seeing the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus. He was the one who had absolutely everything and gave it all up to have us. And as we reflect on that, as we dwell on that, and as we meditate on that, we can allow that truth to melt our hearts. As we dwell on his word, on his life, on his death, in our place, and his resurrection, as the Holy Spirit makes those truths a lived reality in our hearts, our lives will be filled with goodness, knowledge, and we'll be able to instruct one another. In short, as we live for Christ, we will become more and more and more a gift to one another. And it's important. You know, God has drawn this fellowship together. Uh, We are all very different, aren't we? Different stages, different ages, different class, different health, different families. At times we can look around and think, wow, we really are quite a motley crew, can't we? But we, metaphorically speaking, uh, we are all different cuts of glass, different shapes and different colours that God himself has pulled together. God has arranged each one of us carefully. And as we come together uh, with all of our differences, Sunday by Sunday, we're a bit like this. As we see in all of our differences, as we come together and the light of Christ shines through each one of us, then all our differences come together and it's just beautiful. It's really, really pretty. The heavens see what a glorious work that God has done. What we see is the light of the truth of the gospel shining through. And it's glorious. But there is a danger. If we choose to stay away frequently from our Sunday gatherings, if we often choose to stay away from Sunday worship, choose to prioritize something else over gathering together Sunday by Sunday. Uh, I know that we can't be here every Sunday. I know we have holidays at times we're ill. I, I, I get that. But if it's your normal practice to put other things in the way of coming together Sunday by Sunday, please don't think, oh, it's a large group of people. They'll never miss me. They won't even notice uh, that I'm not here. Because when we stay away, we take this and we make it this. You see that? Take this and we make it this. The whole fellowship shines less brightly. Uh, The gaps uh, in the fellowship that are caused by us not gathering together impoverishes the whole fellowship. It causes our witness of the gospel to the world just to shine that little bit less brightly. So we are gifts to one another. And so Paul now explains that we are not only gifts to one another, but we're also an offering that's acceptable 
to God. Take a look at uh, verses uh, 15b through 16. Paul writes this. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, uh, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And the church in Rome was made up of people who were uh, mainly people who had not been Jews, uh, a bit like us here in church. I'd imagine that very few of us here uh, have been a Jew in the past. Uh, So the vast majority of us are what Paul would call Gentiles. And Paul's mission field is to take the good news of Jesus to the non-Jewish world. So that God's plan of salvation is for all people, Jews and non-Jews. And that was radical to the Gentiles. You see, uh, the one true living God had chosen a people for himself, the people of Israel, and he'd called them, drew them to himself, and he called them to live for him. And they had built a temple where they could worship God. Uh, Here's a model uh, of the temple, a picture of it. Uh, One of the wonders of the ancient world. Now, this was the place where the Jewish nation gathered together and brought sacrifices to God. Sacrifices that would, for a time, uh, make them right with God. However, there was a barrier in that courtyard that you can see. If you were a non-Jew, you couldn't get closer to the temple than the barrier allowed. And that place was called the Court of the Gentiles. And there was a sign on the barrier. And the sign read, trespassers will be killed. Trespassers will be killed. If you were a Gentile, you could not draw close to God. That was a privilege that was reserved only for the nation of Israel. The Gentiles had no access to the temple and they could make no sacrifices. Uh, But even if they could, even if they were able to offer the sacrifice, the gap between God and man is so vast that no amount of sacrifices that we could make would ever bridge that gap. No amount of good works can make us acceptable before God. The Jews and the Gentiles couldn't do anything. They couldn't offer anything themselves that would make them right with God. And so the gap between us and God was made right by God himself. God offered the one sacrifice that could pay the price of our rebellion. God gave his own son to pay the price for our rebellion. God reached down And he rescued us. He rescued us from the penalty that our rebellion deserved. And anyone who trusts in the life, the death, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, they will be made right with God. It's a certainty. They will be adopted as a child of God. They will live through all eternity face to face with God. The guarantee of that for those who believe is that God himself comes to dwell within us. His Holy Spirit comes and he lives and he resides permanently within us. And Paul says that when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, that we become an offering that is acceptable to God. That our lives are now an offering to God. That for those who believe, our lives are now for God. That our work, in our work, our aim is to glorify God. In our homes, we are to glorify God. 
in our recreation lives, we live to glorify God. In our relationships, we live to glorify God. In our sexual ethics, we live to glorify God. In all areas of our lives, we live to glorify God. But what does it mean to glorify God? What does that mean? I think it means at least this. That the invisible qualities of God are made visible in our lives. That the invisible qualities of God are made visible in our lives. That the compassion of God would be seen in how we care for the marginalized, the broken, and the powerless. That the tenderness of God would be revealed in our dealings with all people. And that we'd be full of gentleness, of patience, and of thanksgiving. That the justice of God would be revealed in our refusal to live for the world's values. And through our work against injustice in our neighborhoods, in our country, and in the world. Because of what Christ has done for us in Christ, that means that our lives are no longer lived for us, but they are lived for him. Now, our lives are not smaller or constrained or less joyful because of that, but rather our lives will be bigger. We'll have the buoyancy to cope with the ups and downs of life and to journey through life with a certain poise. Lives overflowing with peace and joy. And as the Holy Spirit makes the truths of God's love for us real in our hearts and our desperate need for him apparent to our minds and in our hearts, then we'll take our minds off ourselves and we'll live for him in a way that glorifies him, reveals him to the world around us and to each other. And as we live for Christ, trusting in him, we are being made more acceptable to God by the Spirit making us more and more like our Lord Jesus. Let let me close by uh, sharing a a rather long quote, uh, but a quote nonetheless, from a chap called Diogenetus. Now, he was a man who died about 60 years after Paul's letter to the church in Rome was written, at the time when Christianity was spreading fast across the world. And Diogenetus, he describes the way that Christians were living. Uh, And it was such a revolutionary way of life. It was so different from the culture around him that he felt prompted to write to his friend and tell him about it. Uh, Those early Christians lived in a way that revealed that they were gifts to one another and that they were now living as offerings acceptable to God. That they lived in the world, but they didn't seem to be of this world. They seem to live for a different king. Let me read it. He says this, quote, For the Christians, the course of conduct which they follow has not been devised by any speculation or deliberation of inquisitive people or of any merely human doctrines. They inhabit Greek as well as barbarian cities according to the lot each, sorry, according to according as the lot of each of them has determined and following the customs of the natives in respect of clothing and food. And in the rest of their ordinary conduct, they display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. 
They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry, as do all others, and they beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things, yet abound in all. They have evil spoken of them, and yet they bless when they are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. What an incredible truth. eh? What a glorious way to live. And this way of living doesn't come from human endeavor, but through responding to what God has done in and through his son on the cross and in the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And those early Christians took the truths of the word of God and, and allowed the Holy Spirit to make them real in their hearts and in their lives. And as they did that, they became gifts to one another and acceptable offerings to God and lived lives that glorified God and completely transformed the world. We have the same gospel as they do. Those truths haven't changed. The same Holy Spirit that dwelt in them dwells in us. So in the light of that, let's turn to prayer now and just ask God to help us to live as as acceptable offerings to him and as gifts to one another. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, so much uh, for the truths of your word. I thank you that you are indeed the God of hope. Thank you that by your spirit uh, you have have filled us with joy and peace as we believe and trust in the work of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Father, help us to take those truths, take them deep into our hearts, fan them into flame. I pray that by your spirit you would make those truths a lived reality in our hearts. Help us to be more than just people who are full of knowledge, but help us to be people who are full of goodness and able to instruct one another. Help us to grow to become more like Christ. Help us to live lives that glorify you, knowing that we are your children. Bless us as we seek to glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.